I want to ask you if you know for a fact, I mean with 100% certainty today, that you are in fact in God's family. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Jesus were to walk in this room right now and start pointing to people who are in his family that you would be in that group? Would I know that I'm in that group? Is there any way for us to know? Now today in modern times when you're trying to determine or prove you have a connection to someone's physical family, there are DNA tests that are conducted. Does God give us any spiritual DNA test, so to speak, by which we can know that we're in the family of God? And let me show you why this is such an important question. In Matthew chapter 7, there were some individuals depicted as being on the day of judgment, shocked to discover that they were not in fact known by the one they claimed they knew. This is Matthew 7 and verse 21, and near the end of the very, ten, uh, this, the very great Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, we find the statement that is made in Matthew 7 and verse number 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, look, stop right here. These aren't atheists. They're calling Jesus Lord. They're not even Jews who denied his Messiahship that are being depicted here because the people in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22 who are talking are calling him Lord. And then they even start listing off the accomplishments they've done on his behalf. Have we not? prophesied in thy name. In thy name they claim to have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then instead of Jesus saying, oh yes, I, I remember you, I, I now know who you are, and thank you for refreshing my memory, no. Then will I profess unto them, are you ready for this part? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It seems to me on Friends and Family Day, it would be in our best interest to make sure that we are in the family of God so that we won't hear the surprising words, I never knew you. Well, sure, you know me. I preached about you. I lived for you. I don't know you. Jesus, you tell us in Matthew 7, that not everyone that thinks they know you will indeed be known by you. Do you ever give us any information as to how we can be sure we know you? Go to Matthew chapter 12, if you will, please. <coughs> in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has been engaged in a very busy day of teaching, and he's still talking to the people according to verse 46, and that's when his physical mother and his half-brothers, uh, I call them that, of course, because uh, Jesus did not have a biological father as far as uh, contribution to his conception is concerned. He was indeed not like his half-brothers in that regard. But his family is standing outside wanting to have a word with him, desiring to speak with him. And someone tells him this in verse 47, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without there desiring to speak with thee. Now here Jesus asks one of the most unusual questions you'll ever read of him asking anyone. 
But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? You can read a lot of things in the commentaries, and some of it's good, and some of it is, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) This one commentary I read actually suggested at this point, because it had been such a very mentally rigorous day in the life of our Lord, and he'd been embroiled in such teaching that he was mentally weary, and he temporarily forgot who his mother and brothers were and needed someone to point them out to him. Suffered a temporary memory lapse, you see. Jesus is asking this question on purpose, and he has a very specific reason for trying to get them to consider the answer to it. Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And watch what he does next. He stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. But does he tell us how they could know they were in the category of being his mother and brethren, his spiritual family. Yes, would you look at verse 50? It doesn't get any plainer than this. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same, the same person who does the will of my Father which is in heaven, that's the same person that is my brother and sister and mother. So there you go. According to Jesus The number one way you know that you're in his family is if you know the will of the Father in heaven and you've done the will of the Father in heaven. And you know that back in Matthew 7, the passage we began with, Jesus had already said something in verse 21 that really taught the same thing because here's what he said in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me pause right there. Have you ever wondered or have you ever been asked who the only ones going to heaven are? I tell you, I've gotten in the habit when people ask me that question of saying, I wouldn't dare give you my answer to that because I'm not inspired, but I can show you what Jesus said about who's going to heaven. Would you look at that with me? In Matthew 7, 21, he said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, But does he ever tell us who, yes, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, my mother. Matthew 12, 50 and Matthew 7, 21, they're two peas in a pod. So let's make this practical by giving you three real life examples that I'm aware of where people were given the opportunity to become a member of the family of God. I'm going to describe to you the scenario. And based on what Jesus has just given us, we'll be able to determine what their status is based on the information. Now, someone says, but the Bible says, judge not. It's always amazed me, by the way, that if there's one judgment people know how to make, it's that no one should judge. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. And what they may not realize is the kind of judgment Jesus is forbidding in Matthew 7 is described in Matthew 7. It's the kind that would be hypocritical. It's the kind that would be censorious and fault-finding, as we've heard others say. 
Uh, it's like I've got a log sticking out of my eye, but I'm so intent on getting the little speck out of yours, I'm ignoring the log beam sticking out of mine. That's hypocritical judgment, and there's no place for that. But you know, the same Jesus who said, judge not, in Matthew 7, 1, said, judge, in John 7, 24, but he says, judge not according to appearance, but judge. Well, how can we judge? Judge righteous judgment. How do I know what righteousness is? Psalm 119, 172, all thy commandments are righteousness. I want to ask you, did Jesus give us, did God give us enough information in this book to be able to figure out whether we are in or not in his family? Did he give us enough info on that, yes or no? Yes. In fact, though some would say we can't understand the Bible alike, I read in Ephesians 3, 4, when you read, you may understand. Understand what? Same book. Chapter 5, verse 17, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, have we seen that will of the Lord phrase yet? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 7, 21, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister, my mother, Matthew 12, 50, and we can understand what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5, 17. And we understand when we read Ephesians 3, 4. So let's read it. I want you to go to a text with me that a 92-year-old man was reading. He lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. Everyone called him Pop. That was his nickname, but his real full name was Charlie Collins. As Charlie Collins or Pop Collins was reading John chapter 3, he's 92, but he's got pretty good eyesight for a 92-year-old, a large print Bible and some good specs, and so he was good. He comes to John 3, that's the reading you happen to choose for that day, and he starts at the beginning where you and I can start verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same man, we're told, came to Jesus by night, said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus, knowing that Nicodemus is thinking in purely physical terms, gets him away from that and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, verse 5, except a man be born. We're talking not about an infant being born here. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, Pop Collins finished that reading and he saw where Jesus said in verse 7, you must be born again. You must be. And it stopped him in his tracks because he thought, whatever this is to be born of water into the Spirit, if I don't do it, I cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So I had better figure out what it means to be born again or I cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
So what's, he slowed himself down. He said, what is it? Born of water, there's one part, and of the Spirit, okay? Hey, wait a minute. He remembered, he'd been reading a few days earlier in what you and I know as Acts chapter 8, of how a man was Ethiopian. He was a eunuch. He was a treasurer of Ethiopia for the queen. And this man had just been to Jerusalem to worship, and he's headed back to Ethiopia. And while he's headed back to Ethiopia, he's reading from Isaiah the prophet. And then a preacher shows up, runs and says, do you understand what you're reading? He asks for assistance. It is understandable. And so the preacher gets up. Philip opens his mouth, Acts 8.35, begins at the same scripture, and preaches unto him Jesus. After this eunuch heard Jesus preached, he said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And I want to ask you, did Philip say, whoa, 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 slow down, mister. Uh, you must have misunderstood my sermon because I don't know where you got the wrong-headed idea that being baptized is how you respond to gospel preaching. But no, what I'm about to do is ask you to say the sinner's prayer with me right now so you can become a member of the family of God. Friends, is that what you read in your Bible in Acts chapter 8? When the eunuch said, see, here's water, what's stopping me from being baptized? Wait, he'd heard Jesus preached. Tell me he didn't hear a sermon on baptism according to the text. So why did he think he needed to be baptized in water? Because if you preach Jesus, you preach his death. You preach Jesus, you preach his burial. You preach Jesus, you preach his resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection, baptism is a dying to the practice of sin, going down, being putting the old man to death, burying him, and then rising to walk in newness of life. And the eunuch understood that baptism was an essential part of the obedience to the plan of salvation. By the way, in Acts 2, when Peter preached Jesus and the apostles preached Jesus and they cried out, what shall we do? Peter didn't say, I want every head bowed right now. I want every head bowed. Everyone pray with me the following words. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you the Lord of my life. Forgive me and make me your servant now. Amen. He didn't do that. What did he do? What did he tell those who said, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Did anyone do it? About 3,000 were baptized and the same day they were added to something. What were they added to? The Lord's church. The Lord added to the church those who were being saved, Acts 2.47. So put yourself in Pop Collins' shoes. You've just read Acts 8 a few days earlier where a man hears the Holy Spirit's message through a preacher, and after hearing the Spirit's message through a preacher, he then wants to be baptized in water. Pop Collins said, that's what I need. I need to do the same thing that man did. I need to respond to the message of the Holy Spirit 
the way he responded to it, by being baptized in water. So he called up his denominational preacher friend, and he said, hey, would you come pick me up at the house and take me to the church building and baptize me so I can be born again? His preacher said, Papa, what are you talking about? He said, I've been reading in my Bible here that except a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I want to enter the kingdom of God. I've never been baptized as the Bible teaches, and so I wondered if you'd help me do that. His preacher friend said, Pop, you don't even understand the text. You were saved years ago when you got down at our revival. Remember our revival where you got down at the mourner's bench and you prayed and you asked Jesus to come into your heart? You became a family member then. You became a member of the family of God then is the, the, what the preacher told him. Pop said, I used to think that was true. That's before I was confronted with this verse, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. It, it doesn't say except a man say a prayer, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And so his preacher said, Pop, when it says born of water there, that phrase means a woman is close to giving a child birth to a child her water will break, as we sometimes say accommodatively, and then she'll have a child. So Pop says, wait, whoa, whoa, okay, wait a minute. You're saying born of water means a woman about to give birth to a baby. That's it. He said, can I ask you something? I was reading the other day about this man that heard Jesus preached, and as they went on their travels, they came to a certain place, and he said, see, here is water, was he pointing to a woman about to give birth to a baby? Well, no. What, what was he pointing at? Well, he was pointing at actual water. And was, was he baptized immediately in that water? Yes, that's what I want you to do. Come to my house, pick me up, take me to the church building, baptize me in water like that man did after he heard Jesus preach so I can... His preacher wouldn't do it. So now what's Pop supposed to do? He got out the yellow pages. He starts calling churches at random. And here's what he says. Uh, yeah, I was re reading my Bible today, and I've seen where Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I want to enter the kingdom of God. I've never done what this says. I wonder, would you have someone that could come to my house, pick me up, take me to your church building and baptize me in water so I can be born again? Guess what? Every single place he called suggested they do over the phone with him instead. Can you guess what they suggested they do over the phone with him instead? Well, why don't we just say a prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart? He said, I used to think that's the way to do it, but I didn't know about this verse. I'm going to find someone that will help me do what this verse says. So he got desperate enough to call Baptist Hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now I want you to imagine you're the lady on the switchboard that morning, and you pick up the phone and you say, Baptist Hospital, how may I direct your call? And the voice on the other end says, could you connect me with the baptizing department, please? I'm sorry, what? 
uh, could you connect me with your baptismal department? Uh, sir, you, you do know you called a hospital. Yeah, but because of the name of your hospital, I thought you might have someone that performs baptisms upon request, and I'm a requesting one. Perhaps it was providential that at the moment he placed that call, the woman on duty was a member of the what was then known as the Young High Church of Christ in Knoxville, Tennessee, now known as the South Knoxville Church of Christ. She said, sir, where do you live? And she told her local preacher, and her local preacher went to Pop's house and studied with him to make sure that he understood that not only was he about to be born again, he was about to be added by the Lord to the church that started on the day of Pentecost, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And they took Pop and put him on a stretcher and several people got a, an end of that stretcher. And after they took his confession, they dipped him beneath a watery grave of baptism just for an instant and then brought him right back up to rise and walk in newness of life. And Pop Collins went on his way rejoicing for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, my mother. Now let me take you to Etowah, Tennessee, my first place to ever preach. I was in my early 20s, and we were door knocking for a gospel meeting. There was a man sitting on his porch, had columns on his porch, and I rapped on one of the columns, and he was very welcoming. I walked up on the porch and handed him a flyer, and he looked at it, and he said, Now, where, where is this again? I said, It's on Athens Pike. We'd love to have you at our meeting, which starts tomorrow. And he said, okay, I've just got to ask you the, the name of your church here on the flyer. He said, aren't you that group that teaches baptisms got something to do with saving us? And I wanted him to understand that none of us believe in magic water, but we do believe that just as Naaman had to dip seven times in the River Jordan for the power of God, to cleanse him of his leprosy, that uh, we need to be immersed so the power of the blood of Christ can cleanse us of our sins. And so I was going, going that direction. He, he stopped me before I could get very far, and he said, uh, young man, how old are you? And I told him. He said, do you realize I've been reading my Bible more years than you've been on this earth? And I'm going to save you some time and tell you right now. And I'm quoting him, pardon the lack of English grammar here. I'm going to tell you right now, I've read this Bible for more years than you've been alive, and there ain't no place in the Bible that comes right out and says baptism saves us, I'll tell you that much. And that's exactly the way he worded it. And I was kind, and we were both kind to one another, and I said, sir, I notice you have a Bible nearby. Do you believe the Bible? I believe every word of the Bible, young man. I said, that's fantastic. We need more people to believe every word of God's word. Yes. I wonder, would you look at one verse with me? I don't think he really was all that excited about doing it, but he just professed his love for the Bible. And so I asked him, he picked it up, and I said, would you, would you locate 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, where... Verse 20 describes how the, you know, in the days of Noah, the 
uh, ark and those in it were saved by water. Eight souls were saved by water, and there's something like that. Verse 21, and I watched him, and have you ever seen someone when they read, their lips move so clearly you could actually read the words or uh, identify the words they're reading because they're mouthing them so clearly with their lips? That's what was happening on this occasion. <coughs> I watched as, as this man on the porch in Etowah, Tennessee, was reading 1 Peter 3.21. I'm going to read it out loud once, and then I'm going to show you what he just kept doing. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism does also now save us. Baptism does also now save us. Baptism does also now save us. And I waited, and then kindly I said, Sir, what does the inspired Apostle Peter say that baptism does? I'll never forget what he did. He, he looked back down at the verse, and then he looked back up at me, and then Bible's trembling in his hand. He said, Well... Well, he says it saves us, but I don't believe it. And then he told me to get off of his property, and I did not leave his property with a fist pump. And woohoo, I told him because it's not about that. It's not about winning arguments, it's about winning souls. And sometimes we have to use good reasoning to come to conclusions. We always have to use good reasoning to come to the right conclusion. On this occasion, here was a man who told me, there ain't no place in the Bible that comes right out and says what this verse comes right out and says. And when he saw that this verse now said that, Pop Collins, when he saw something he didn't see before, what was his reaction? Well, if that's what this book says, that's what I'm going to do. And he wouldn't stop until he got it done. And when he got it done, whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister, my mother, the man in Etowah, Tennessee, wouldn't do the will of the Father in heaven he was reading. <coughs> so let me ask you, if Jesus says, whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother, what's the implication if we don't do it? that we're not in his family because we've not been willing to do it. Now let me take you to Indianapolis, Indiana. Here's my dad studying with a lady at her kitchen table. He shows her 1 Peter 3.21 and when he finishes, she takes her fist and she pounds it into the kitchen table as hard as she could and he said, after he let her kind of calm down a little bit, why are you angry? She said, you mean to tell me this verse has been in my Bible all these years and I'm just now realizing that? You mean to tell me there's been a verse in my Bible the whole time I've owned it that comes right out and says, baptism does also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I've been told by preachers that it doesn't. 
Number one, she said, I'm mad at myself because I could have read this on my own and learned this sooner than I've just learned it. And number two, I will confess to you, I'm annoyed with some of the preachers who are coming right out and telling me it doesn't do what this verse comes right out and says it does. Will you take me to the church building and baptize me right now? And he said, I will. And they got some folks to meet him up there and they watched her go down into a watery grave of baptism after she'd confessed that she believed Jesus was the Christ. She came up walking in newness of life and now is she in the family? Well, whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, my mother. Is she in the family based on Jesus' teaching or not? Yes or no? You got it right. Amen, brother. Tell me children can't understand. <laughs> yes. So let me take you to Luke's account and start closing this out. I want you to see Luke 8. It's a summary account, a summary account of what Matthew gives us. And it does give us one expression that I want to use by way of invitation. In Luke chapter 8, you will notice there in verse number 19, then came to him his mother and his brethren. They could not come at him for the press. And that's not talking about the media. That's talking about the crowd was pressing so firmly they couldn't get to where Jesus was teaching. And so they just, will you pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. Verse 20, it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. Now look at this summary statement Jesus gives. Verse 21, my mother and my brethren are anyone that gets up and goes to church on a Sunday morning. No matter what they believe or where they go. It's not what he said. My mother and my brethren are. Does he ever tell us how to know who his mother and brothers are? Yes. My mother and my brethren are these which, number one, hear the word of God, and number two, do it. They hear it, and they do the will of the Father in heaven. Friends, I want to ask you, if you went to the mall, if you went to the mall with your nine-year-old son, we'll call him Joey for illustration purposes Let's say that while you're enthralled with the latest, greatest sale, Joey sees Grandma, just so happens that she is also at the mall, and he sees her walking outside the store, and you know how children are when they see Grammy. He runs to her. He's so excited to see her. Doesn't get permission from you. Grammy assumes you've given him permission. And she says, come with me. I, I saw a toy. There's only one left. I, I don't want anyone else to get it. Come with me and I'll, I'll get you that toy. He's not thinking, well, let me tell my mom first. He's thinking, let me get the last toy. And so mom turns around. Joey? Joey? Has, has anyone seen my son? I saw him earlier. I don't. Has anyone seen my son? She's panicked. She wants to know, where is Joey? Now, friends, let me, let me point this out to you. If you want to help her find Joey 
and you didn't see him, you're going to need a description. Otherwise, you go grab every child you meet in the, in the mall and drag them back. Watch out. You get in trouble for that. So you need some information. What does Joey look like? How can we separate and identify your child from every other child that's here in this mall? And you give the following description. Joey is nine years old. He's got blonde hair and blue eyes. He's wearing a yellow shirt and got brown trousers on. Oh, yeah. He's got a very prominent birthmark on the left side of his neck. All right, we'll help you. It's not long until you see someone dragging a child behind them. The child is kicking and screaming. He's wearing a red sweatshirt and a pair of blue jeans. And you say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You said your boy's name is Joey, right? Yes, what's your name, boy? Joey. I got him. No, you got yourself in a heap of trouble is what you did. But that's not my boy. You said his, his name was Joey. I said that and more. That's one of the identifying marks. But that's, I also said he's wearing a yellow shirt and brown trousers. Well, if you're going to be all nitpicky about it, I'm not helping. Okay, it'd probably be best if you didn't. Here comes someone, and this looks promising. You see blonde hair. You get closer. There are blue eyes. The shirt is yellow. The trousers are brown. His name is Ralph. He's 14. But he's got the same color hair, the same color eyes, the right color shirt, the right color pants. Come with me, boy, and live with me. No, that's not going to work. Well, what, here, this is really promising. Blonde hair, blue eyes, yellow shirt, brown trousers. Name is Joey. He's nine years old. But there is no birthmark on the left side of his neck. I want to ask you, would you be willing to say, well, I was hoping for a complete match, but I tell you what, it's close enough. Come on home, boy, let's go eat. Would you do that? Would you insist that the birthmark be present, yes or no, before you walked out of that mall with a child as yours? Would you insist on the birthmark? Of course you would. All of the criteria must be present for it to be your child, not just part. Friends, did God ever give us a description of what one of his children looks like? Yes. My child is one who's heard the word of God and believed that faith comes by hearing Romans 10, 17. They believe that my son is the Christ, knowing that if they don't, they'll die in their sins, John 8, 24. One of my children is one who's done what I've commanded all men everywhere to do, repent, Acts 17, 30. And yet my children are those who confess that they believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Yeah, they confess that. And then my children, they have a, a new birthmark. It's the birthmark of having been born again. They go down into the water, they come up out of the water, and they go on their way rejoicing, members of my family. As I close, it was in East Tennessee that I was preaching a sermon similar to this. And as the invitation song began... The woman, young lady, made her way down the aisle faster than anyone, any place I've ever preached. I'm not saying no one elsewhere has beat her, but I've, I've never seen anyone respond that quickly in where I've preached. 
She was down to the front, lickety-split, and before the local preacher could get to her down here, she was already walking in the door that led back toward the baptistry. She said one quick phrase to him. He turned around, walked out here, and was smiling, and I didn't know the local story. They had started picking this young girl up on a bus way back when she was a little girl, and she'd attended that church all those years, but had never obeyed the gospel. But what she told the preacher that day is she says, I'm not waiting another second to become a member of God's family. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. She came and confessed her Lord Jesus, and then they took her and gently dipped her beneath a watery grave of baptism, and she came forth to walk in newness of life, and she went on her way rejoicing for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, my mother. That raises this question. Is there anyone here today that needs to become a member of the family of God by doing the will of the Father in heaven so that you can be identified as such. We would love to see that happen today. It would be glorious indeed. And when you left, you wouldn't be a member of any denomination. You'd just be a member of the Lord's church, the one you read about in the Bible. What a sweet, sweet blessing that is. We'd love for you if you're a child of God and wayward and wandering, if you're like a prodigal that... Yeah, you're a family member, but you're a family member that's been in the far country or that you are in the far country and you're about to come to yourself like the prodigal did and said, I'll arise and go to my father and say, I've sinned. Then he will run to meet you as it were today, forgive you and give you a blessing like you do not deserve, none of us deserve. Whatever your need is, this is heaven's invitation given to you now from him to you won't you become his family member if you need to, as together we stand and sing, won't you please?